Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. So obviously this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we are looking at a passage of Scripture this morning from Galatians chapter 4, really kind of uh, parachuting into the middle of Galatians here and picking up this passage. But this is a passage that tells us who Jesus is, what he did, and what difference it will make for you if you will believe it. Okay? So follow along as I read. I'm reading Galatians chapter 4, 1 to 7. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. So, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's, he's going to talk about why Jesus came, but he's putting it in the context, really, of the history of the world. All right? There's a before and an after, right? And he's using this little illustration that I think we can all understand if we think about it. So I want you, if you are 17 years old or younger, would you please stand up? And if you have a little baby, maybe you can raise him up so we can see. Now, I was asking, I was asking Jody or Lucas or somebody this week how many kids are in the church. And I do believe we are outnumbered. A bunch of little ones are back there behind me in that room over there. Okay. All right, sit down for a minute. Or, you know, you can sit down for the rest of the time. I'm not going to have you stand up again. So why did I have you stand up? Well... Adults, do you remember what it was like to be a child? What was it like? It's like, and you kids, you know what this is like now. Your mom, or your dad, or your teacher, right, or your babysitter, is constantly telling you what to do, right? like every little detail of what to do. Now, hopefully this gets less and less as you get older and older. How many of you 17-year-olds still have to have your mom tell you to brush your teeth? <laughs> All right, well, okay, time's a-wasting. But think about it, right? So... What are you going to wear today? What are you not going to wear? What are you going to eat? 
we had a, a saying in our house when our kids were younger, um, when they said they didn't like what Seabra had made, you know, for dinner. That's fine. You can decide what you like. We'll decide what to eat, right? There it is. Like it or not, but you're going to eat it, right? So what you wear, what you eat, when you get up, when you go to bed, um, what you do throughout the day, every little detail of life, right, is under control because your children and children need to be told what to do, right? You kids, hey, you're gonna, you need to be told what to do, right? Okay, good. Don't you love being told what to do? No. So that's the image. And look what he says in verse one. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, so we're talking about an heir, right? So this is someone who stands to inherit like the estate of his father, right? And st stands to inherit everything. But as long as he's a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he's the owner of everything. He still gets told, hey, sit down. Hey, do your homework. Hey, go to bed. Hey, you're not wearing that today. Hey, eat your beans, right? Every little detail of life. As long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, although he's owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. What's that got to do with us? What's that got to do with the history of the world? Verse two, or verse three. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now who he's talking about here, the we, the children, is the people of God under the old covenant. Okay? That's, that's the we, that's the children. The elemental things of the world is the law. Okay, you understand that if you, if you read Galatians. So he's talking about the law. And think about what it was like to live under the law. All right? Some of us have been reading uh, this uh, Bible reading plan. We're doing this here, so we've got Genesis... Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now I think we're in, Deut in jo Joshua, although I'm a little behind, right? Um, but you remember reading that, those of you who've been reading it. Think about the, the detail, the excruciating, painful detail, how hard it was to read Leviticus and Numbers. You remember that? And how much it was exactly like what he says here. It's like being little children, right? Because God tells the people, his people in the old covenant, what to wear, what not to wear, what to eat, what not to eat, right? Um, how, to, how to cook their food, how to go to the bathroom, I mean, like every little detail of life, the simplest things of life. That's why he calls it the, the elemental things of the world, 
The ceremonial law, right, in the Old Testament covered every little tiny detail. It treated God's people as children because they were. They were just like the, the illustration, just like all you little kids, right? Not grown up yet, still having to be told what to do. But that was all for a time. Think about how long that time was, though, in the history of the world. From Adam on, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, all the people after with this weight, this crushing weight. And what does he call it? He says, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Held in bondage under the law. It's like being a slave. It's like being a prisoner. It's like being, having this crushing weight of law bearing down on you, pinning you to the floor, right? And the law, here's the thing about the law. The law does nothing. It will not lift a finger to help you. Does it? It tells you what to do. It tells you exactly what to do. It tells you exactly what not to do. It condemns you. It tells you what the penalty is when you break it, which you do, right? Does it do anything to help you? Does it do anything to come inside you and change you and give you the power and strength to obey it? No law can do that. No law can do that. That's not what law can do. It cannot impart life. What he says up just a few verses above this in chapter three, he says, for if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But scripture has shut up everyone under sin. To be under sin, to be under the law, it's basically the same thing because there, you have no power to obey. And so you're pinned to the floor under the crushing weight of sin, under the crushing weight of the condemnation of the law. And the law doesn't do anything to help you. That was the history of the world. That was everyone before Christ came. That's what he says. But what? Verse four. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. This, verse four, if you really feel the weight of, of the first part of this, the, the oppressive burden of the law, if you've read that recently, you feel the oppressive burden. If you know your own sin, you know the oppressive burden of the law, right? then verse four is like, finally, finally, at long last, right? Finally, that's what he means by 
when the fullness of the time came. Finally, at long last, after all these centuries, hundreds of years, actually thousands of years, of living under that burden, and the time is right, the fullness of time, at just the right time, when the world is groaning, when God's people are groaning under the weight, God sends his son. He sends his son. History, all of history is exactly under God's control. Every detail of history is under God's control. From the big sweep, right? From beginning to end, down to the, to the minutiae of your life. Totally under God's control. The history is real, you know? We're not living in a multiverse. What a stupid thought. God made the world and everything in it. He made this world. He sent his son into this world. There is no other world. And this world is real. What matters in this world or what happens in this world matters. And God sent his son into this world at just exactly the right time. Nations, armies, little children, you know, all of it calculated to bring us to this. So when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Now let's look at these, each line of this, okay? It says, God sent forth his son. So banish it from your mind forever. The crazy idea that God, so when it says God here, it's talking about God the Father, right? So banish it from your mind as far as you possibly can and stomp it down every time that this thought like rises in your mind that God the Father is like the mean one, the cold one, the distant one, the one who doesn't really care about you. You know, so then the soft one comes, Jesus, and kind of convinces the Father to kind of you know, come on, just, you know, come on, just take pity on him, would you? Come on, lighten up, right? It's God the Father who sent the Son. I mean, come on. God so loved the world, God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only Son. Okay, it's, this, is, this is God the Father working here. It is God's great heart on display here. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Get it out of your mind. All right? So God, the Father, sent forth his son. Now what this verse tells us is who Jesus is. Obviously he's talking about Jesus who he is, and what he has done 
for us. Okay, and why? So look at this carefully. God sent forth his son. So who is Jesus? He's the son of God. So does that mean he's less than God? Just a little bit less than God? That's how all you fathers think of your sons. They're just a little bit less than you, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. For, for Jesus to be the son of God means that he's not less than God in any way. He is exactly what God the Father is. Okay? He's not the same person, but he's everything that makes God the Father God Jesus, the Son, is exactly that. Very God of very God. We just sung that, right? God of God, light of light, begotten, not created, very God. He is exactly as much God as God the Father is. He's God. And we're going to see in a minute, he has to be God. If he's anything less than God, even by the slightest degree, then we're done. He's God. God sent forth his son. The word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what John says. So God sent forth his son, but then look at what he says next born of a woman born of a woman and so that means whatever man is that's what he was everything that you are he was not without not sin Remember, Adam was created without sin. Sin is not of the essence of what it means to be human. If that's the case, then Jesus can't be human, can't be man. But he was. And he was, it says, the way he puts it here, born of a woman. What a, what a sweet way of putting it, actually. So all of you women who have born children, who've carried them, For all those months, right, all of the unpleasantness that that entails, do you think somehow Mary was a got got off from that stuff? You think somehow Mary didn't have morning sickness? You know how they, the, these uh, Christmas carols that we sing, one of them, I'm sure we'll sing it, and just sing it and smile, it's fine. It's fine. When it says, uh, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That would be news to Mary. I mean, come on. Was he a robot? Was he an alien? He was a baby. She had all the pain that went along with having a child. 
both carrying the child and delivering the child. She was not exempt from the curse. So born of a woman, everything that should come to your mind should come to your mind, okay? Just feel it. What this means is he was a man. He was not 50% God, 50% man. He was 100% God and 100% man. No, I don't understand that in the least and neither do you. But it's what the Bible says. And he had to be. He had to be because of what he came to do. He had to be both, okay? Look at what it says. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, what does it mean for us to be under the law? We just talked about that, right? For us to be under the law is to have all the weight of the law, all the weight of God's holy commandments bearing down on us, telling us exactly what to do and exactly what not to do, telling us what will come of us if we, if we disobey it, right? You will die. That's what it means for us to be under the law. And yet at the same time, having the law able to do nothing to give us life. If there was a law that could impart life, then righteousness would be by the law. But there is no law that can impart life. That's not what law does, right? So for us to be under the law is for us to be pinned to the floor under the crushing weight of the law. We know what it says, we don't do it. Our consciences weighed down with guilt. Is that what it meant for Jesus to be born? under the law? Who, who is Jesus again? The Son of God? What is the law? The law, especially the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is the perfect expression of God's own character. Right? God is holy. God doesn't worship idols. He doesn't bow down to other gods. God is no rebel. God keeps his promises and is faithful. He's no adulterer. God is no liar. God is no murderer. You understand? The law is the expression of God's character. So when Jesus, God in flesh, comes to the earth, he is able to perfectly keep the law. What else would he do? What else would he do? It's his character that was written down in the law. So when he comes, he lives it out. He lives it out perfectly in every little detail. Even the ceremonial law that he was born under, right? You remember, you see this in the Bible. You see this in the Gospels. He's, he's taken to the temple. He's circumcised. All the things are done right. All the offerings he does all the feasts he's supposed to do, right? He does everything perfectly according to the law. So for him to be born under the law means is that he came and he obeyed it perfectly 
in every detail, all the detail that you and I find oppressive. He carried it out perfectly. Why? Verse 5. So that he might redeem those who are under the law. Redeem. Not a word we use very often unless you're trading in bottles or cans. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in the Northeast, out in Pennsylvania and then up in Massachusetts, right? And you, you drive by these grocery stores and you kind of double take because you think it's a church, but it's not a church. Because what it says is redemption center. It's a grocery store. It's where you bring your bottles and cans and you redeem them, right? They buy them back. That's what redemption is, to be bought back from bondage, from slavery. He came to redeem those who are under the law. How? How does he redeem those who are under the law? In my Bible, right across the page here, in chapter three, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. How does he redeem us from the law? Well, it's weird because he does perfectly fulfill the law. And so he's the one who does, he's the only one who does not deserve cursing, right? He's the only one who doesn't deserve to be cursed. He obeys the law perfectly, actively obeys everything in the law, and then dies the death, hangs on the tree, cursed. Well, that's not fair. Thank God it's not fair. Fair is you hanging on a tree. But he hang on, hung on a tree instead. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse in our place. That's what he came to do. So you have, this, you have God the Father at just the right time sending forth his son to become a man, born of a woman, right? And living under the law, perfectly fulfilling it, every detail, and then dying as if he had broken the law, but he hadn't. And saying, I'm paying the price for my people, for everyone who will believe in me. What does that get us? Look at verse five. So that he might redeem those who are under the law. And here's another purpose here, right? That we might receive the adoption as sons. That's the point. So it's not just to get us off 
and like leave us in limbo and this kind of, you know, okay, you're, I covered the price, now just go, you know? He covered our price and then opened up his arms to us and said, come, come, you're my sons. You were my enemies, now you're my sons. He did all of this so that we might receive the adoption as sons. What do you do to deserve to be adopted? What do you do to deserve to be adopted? Anything? No. Adoption is the overflow of love, not merit, not earning, not labor. There, you know, this is true of our adoption when we adopt, but it's true very much of God's adoption of us. There's nothing we've done. This is all Christ. This is all what Christ did. Interesting thing, by the way, about this passage. It's one of these weird texts of Scripture where there are zero commands. There are no commands in this passage. I mean, the Bible is full of commands. Even the New Testament, totally chock full of commands, right? That's not a difference between the Old and New Testament. The New Testament is filled with commands. But this passage has no commands. This is simply God telling us what he has done. He sent his son, born of a woman, born to the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Okay, so what? Verse six. Because you are sons... He's taking that for granted. He did this to make you sons, and because you are sons, you are. Now, how do you become a son of God, by the way? Chapter 3, verse 26, just right up above this says, For we are all, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have no faith in Christ Jesus, you're not a son. You're a slave. But he says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are sons. What would it look like for you to be fully persuaded that that's actually true of you? What would that look like? For you to be fully persuaded that you are in fact in the, the good graces of God, that you, your sins have been forgiven 
that you have the spirit of Christ, that God loves you like a a child. What would that look like? What would be different for you if you actually believed that? We need to train our conscience to believe the truth that God approves of you. Because of Christ, you need to fight with doubt. You need to hang on to the statements of fact of Scripture, like this one. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart. This is true. What does that spirit say? Abba, Father. Abba is a word, of course, we don't use. It's not in English. It's Aramaic, and it means Father. <laughs> it's like the word, it's, the, it's the, the intimate, informal word that a, that a, that a child would say to his dad. And hopefully some of you, hopefully all of you fathers who have little children know what it's like to come home at the end of the day, right? And to have your kids be happy to see you. And to cry out, not because their mother told them, right? But to cry out, dad's home. No one had to told them, tell them to do that, right? Now, sometimes I know you have to tell them to do it. I know. <laughs> but there's something in there that just, right? That's what God has put into us. The spirit of his son. And when the spirit of his son, which is the Holy Spirit, sees God the Father cries out. I'm going to read to you a uh, section from a uh, commentary by Martin Luther on the book of Galatians. All right? And here's what he says at this point, crying, Abba, Father. Okay, here's what he says. The fact that the Spirit of Christ in our hearts cries unto God and makes intercession for us with groanings, should reassure us greatly. However, there are many factors that prevent such full reassurance on our part. We are born in sin. To doubt the goodwill of God is an inborn suspicion of God within all of us. We can hear, let me stop here. We can hear this over and over and over and over again. Some of you, some of us have heard this a hundred times, a thousand times, and we still are just a little bit cynical about it. Just a little suspicious, right? And there's something fishy going on here. This sounds too good to be true. 
Where's the catch? He says, to doubt the goodwill of God is an inborn suspicion of God with all of us. It's a part of our sinfulness. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did. It's the bait that they, right? It was the hook in the bait that they bit. God. He's not really as good as you think he is. Okay? Then he says this. He says, besides, the devil, our adversary, goes about seeking to devour us by roaring, God is angry at you and is going to destroy you forever. What is that, Luther says? That's the roar of the devil. That's the roar of the lion as he's looking for someone to eat. God is angry with you. He's going to destroy you forever. And we are so quick to believe, just like Adam and Eve, we are so quick to believe the words of the one who hates us. He says this, Luther goes on. In all these difficulties, we have only one support, the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. To hold on to it, that is the trick. (laughs) That's the trick, to hold on to the gospel. Christ cannot be perceived with the senses. We cannot see him. The heart does not feel his helpful presence, especially in times of trials. A Christian feels the power of sin, right? The infirmity, the weakness of his flesh, the goading darts of the devil, the shivers of death, the scowl and judgment of God. All these things cry out against us. The law scolds us, sin screams at us, death thunders at us, the devil roars at us. In the midst of the clamor, the Spirit of Christ cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. And this little cry of the Spirit transcends the hullabaloo of the law. I'd like to know what that word was in German. Hullabaloo probably this long. This little cry of the Spirit transcends the hullabaloo of the law, sin, death, and the devil, and finds a hearing with God. Let the law, sin, and the devil cry out against us until their outcry fills heaven and earth. The Spirit of God outcries them all. He says, the Spirit intercedes for us Not in many words or long prayers, but with groanings, with little sounds like Abba. Small as this word is, it says ever so much. It says, my father, I am in great trouble and you seem so far away. But I know I am your child because you are my father for Christ's sake. I am loved by you because of the beloved. 
That's what it means to have the Spirit of God calling out in your heart, Abba, Father. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? And then he says this in the last verse, verse 7. He wraps it all up, makes the point. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's one of the contrasts that comes up over and over again in Scripture is the difference between a slave and a son. What's the difference between a slave and a son? Jesus says in the book of John, the Gospel of John, the the slave does not live in the house forever. That means his place is tentative. It's not solid. It's not based on relationship, right? The slave can get the boot. The slave can get kicked out. The slave can be sold to someone else. You take him, right? But the son, he says, dwells in the house forever. The son has a place. The Apostle Paul says this back in Romans 8, same kind of thing. This is 8.15, Romans 8.15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so it's either one or the other, either the spirit of slavery or the spirit of sonship. And if you are living, what does the spirit of slavery get you? Fear. Right? It says you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. So what does that mean? It means if you are living by fear, you are living by lies. If you're God's child. For a child of God, a son of God, to live by fear is for him to live by lies. And the lie is, you're a slave, not a son. He's given us a spirit of adoption as sons. And so he says, therefore, you're no longer a slave. Wouldn't it be just like the devil to convince you that you are, in fact, still a slave? That's the lie. But you're not a slave. You're a son. And if a son than an heir. It's not a slave, but free. Why does he, why is he telling us this? 
He's telling us this because we need to hear it over and over again, and it's very hard to believe. What we tend to do is forget it and revert back to slave. And so in Galatians, he says this over and over again. He says right after this, right? Just listen. He says right after this. He says, how is it that now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Well, if you're free, if you're a son, why explain to me, why do you keep trying to go back under the yoke of slavery? He says in chapter five, verse one, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not sub be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He says in verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only don't use, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. This is very sweet. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, if you have the spirit of the son in you, the law is not a burden anymore. Because you're able to love, you're able to be free. And he says this, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. To live as a slave, how would you know if you're living as a slave? One way you can know is if do you, do you, love, do you love anybody? Or, put it negatively, do you live your life just biting and devouring everyone around you? Out of your emptiness, biting and devouring everyone. Scrapping, scraping, clawing, sucking everything dry. Because you're a slave. That's what slaves do. They got to look out for themselves. Right? What a, but look, you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, what do you stand to inherit if you're an heir of God? What? What belongs to God? The earth is the Lord and all things in it. What belongs to God? Everything belongs to God. <laughs> Everything. And that's what you stand to inherit if you're a son of God by faith. And you're biting and devouring one another. Desperately trying to get something for yourself. A little bit of acceptance, a little bit of acknowledgement, a little bit of, I don't know, cookies. 
respect, money. You're an heir of God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem you from the curse of the law, so that you might receive the adoption of sons. And because you're a son, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, calling out Abba, Father, and And so you're not a slave anymore, but a son. And an heir through God. Will you believe this? Are you really going to walk out of here with the same cynicism you came in with? The same unbelief. The same nagging suspicion that God is actually against you. Believing the lie again, still. Or are you just going to believe what God says? I know it's hard. I know. That's why God says it over and over again. So now let's sing about it. Okay? Let me pray with you. Father, would you please, by your Spirit, open up our hearts to you and free us from the tyranny of the devil and free us from his lies that you're a stingy, hard, cold, distant God, not our Father. Lord, free us from those lies. Open us up to the truth. Let our hearts call out to you, Abba, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.